Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. Oprah and Gail, Bert and Ernie, all four of the Golden Girls. For many people, and puppets, their soulmate is often their friend. We don't have a good word to describe that kind of friendship, one that involves intimacy without sex, constancy without marriage, and a belief that you cannot live without that other person. In her new book, The Other Significant Others, author Raina Cohen argues we should do more to celebrate friendships you build your life around. We'll talk to Cohen and hear from you. Who is your other significant other? That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. I first heard my friend Debbie before I ever met her. Her laugh was loud, warm, and infectious. It carried down the hallway of our freshman dorm. It was the kind of laugh where you wanted to know, what's the joke? And when we did meet, I knew, and maybe hoped, that this woman was going to be, to borrow a phrase from Grey's Anatomy, my person. Decades later, we call or text each other every day. We've been through much of what life can throw your way, raising kids, careers, ups and downs, caring for elderly parents. When my husband was gravely ill and in a coma, Deb was my first call because she's my person. The other day, my college-age daughter asked if Debbie was my best friend. Best friend seemed, well, a little too junior high school. Maybe she was my Oprah and I was her Gail. Or maybe Debbie is my other significant other, which is also the title of author Raina Cohen's new best-selling book. In it, Cohen argues that these kinds of friendships, whatever we want to call them, can and maybe should be centered in our lives. That we can look to friendship, and not just romantic partnership, as a way of creating community and connection. Cohen joins us this morning on Forum. Welcome, Raina. It's so good to be here and to hear how connected you are to the book. 
Oh, I love the book, and it is a bestseller, which I'm excited to tell everyone about. Um, and I wanted to start for with this, because for you, this book about friendship was a kind of me-search, meaning it is a topic close to your heart. You write, I've long thrown myself into friendship with the fervor others reserve for romance, which I loved. So what kind of friendships are you talking about? Are you talking about making life decisions revolving around your friends? I, you know, I think I just love connecting friends, making new friends, having friend crushes. Uh, so I, I'm kind of a friend person. But in terms of this specific kind of friendship that I'm looking at in the book, yeah, I think one way to define it, it is that people are making major decisions together and are, are looking toward a shared future. And I experienced a version of this uh, when I moved to D.C. and I, you know, had a kind of similar meet cute almost to, to what you described <laughs> as like kind of knowing that I was intrigued by someone before actually having that much information about it. And this is the friend who in the book I call M. And we just became really interconnected and involved in each other's lives once we met and realized we lived a five minute walk from each other. Uh, I would stop at M's house on the way to my commute in the morning. We would be each other's plus ones to our office holiday parties. Uh, we were, you know, in, in many ways kind of a unit. And uh, that's the sort of friendship that I was interested in and interested in, you know, why don't we have a term for it in the way that you're trying to figure out with your own friend? Well, I knew that you and M, when you described it in the book, were really close because you would even BCC each other on work emails, which feels like next level and, I mean, high-risk behavior. So. <laughs> I mean, it, it would also, like, yeah, I, she did it more than I would because I had a really terrible BCC experience in my career history when I was, I think, an intern at the time. Um, but I, I would sometimes like, yeah, BCC or forward. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's sort of like a silly small thing, but it it shows the way that we were living lives in parallel rather than waiting until we saw each other a few weeks from then, as a lot of friends do, and just catch each other up on, on each other's lives. Um, you know, we were really just like keeping each other along for the ride. And proximity helped. And was this, was it the fact that it was a time in your life when you were both kind of starting out new in D.C. and, you know, early in your careers? Did that impact how intense that friendship became? I'm I'm sure it did that we both had quite a lot of space in our lives. Um, I was in a romantic relationship uh, at the time with my now husband, uh, but we were long distance, so I, it wasn't like uh, we were living together or that I had my life organized around that relationship. And I had not been in the city that long. M had not been in the city for all that long. So I, I'm I think if it were happening now, where maybe both of us have much more full social lives, it could have been harder to you know. F- have that sort of space that we're willing to let another person into. Um, I'm sure that that's part of it. But I I also think proximity is huge. I mean, it, it allows for a kind of spontaneity and uh, and like you don't need to have an excuse to see the other person in a way that if you wanted to say to someone that you'd met, like, can we hang out four times a week? In the future, they might think that that's a little bit extreme, but it just can happen organically. And through all of that time together, you inevitably become close. I think that's why some of these friendships that you describe are forged. You know, there's a a couple, um, Stacy and Grace. Stacy is a man and Grace is a woman. They forged that in college. And then there was another set of friends who forged their friendship because they were both in the military. I mean, it's that being together all the time kind of thing. And what you say is, you know, just be 
being able to just walk down the hall and say, hey, here I am. Let's do something. I mean, it's kind of a nice way to establish a friendship. Mm-hmm. I think it just sort of sets the perfect conditions for it. I, you know, anyone who's gone to college and lived in a dorm, I think, knows how how attached at the hip you can become to someone else or going to summer camp. Uh, so these environments that provide that that proximity and uh, the the possibility of kind of an intense time together, I think, really do foster these relationships. So I have talked to people who have formed friendships like these in other conditions of, you know, two women who were empty nesters and sort of took to each other. Other sorts of stories as well that have to do with people later in life, meeting each other in their workplaces and so on. But uh, it certainly helps if you have an environment that makes it really easy to see each other all the time. A lot of your friends that you interviewed, and they're, I mean, this this book is a collection of deep reporting and conversations with friendship duos. Um, and one writes, one friend writes about her, her friend. She says, you know, she is a piece of me in another body. I mean, and I think that kind of encapsulates both the intensity and the connection one can find in friendships like these. A lot of people use the term soulmate uh, mm-hmm. or some modification of it, like my best soul friend. And I also heard the word magic a lot. Mm. Like people talked about the friendship feeling magical and having some, I think, ineffable kind of closeness that people tend to maybe use that that sort of, you know, I was going to say airy-fairy. That makes it sound like it's a bad <laughs> thing. But like a very heightened, um, emotional, almost spiritual way of talking mm. about a relationship I think people would would tend to use for romance, but I kept hearing it again and again for these sorts of friendships. And the the um, description that you gave, I, I believe it was uh, this woman Grace who was talking about her friend, is is part of that. Um, and oh, there was a I can't remember the exact line here, but there was a woman I spoke to who said that uh, her friendship, you know, to try to like understand it would be like reading a recipe and thinking that you could taste the food, mm. um, but that there was there was some kind of mystery to it that they. Just just essentially bowed down to, um, and that is the the level of um, of intimacy and being known and knowing another person that a lot of these friends say that they feel. It, well, it seems so obvious that friendship is important and additive to our lives. So, why do we seem to shunt it to the side in favor of romantic relationships? I think kind of from the time that we are placed in front of a TV to watch a Disney movie, we mm. are told that. Happily ever after is equated to finding your one true love. And it comes up in so many different ways at at other points in our lives where there's a pressure to be romantically coupled if you want to be seen as a successful adult. And this, uh, there's a term for this, which is compulsory coupledom. It comes from (laughs) a researcher from um, from the UK. Uh, Incidentally, my mom and I were sitting in the Union Station in DC like a couple years ago, and we were trying to come up with a term for this exact phenomenon. And I discovered that somebody else had already done it. (laughs) Um, So, but I, you know, it is, it's a, uh, it's, a, a real pressure that people feel that they are not complete, like uh, if they are not partnered. And n- nobody calls you incomplete <laughs> uh, or says that I'm, you know, um, I've been made whole, uh, you know, according to whether or not you have friendships. That it's so then the priority there, if you want to be seen as successful and complete and not pitied, is to focus on a romantic relationship. And there are sort of historical reasons why we've arrived at this place where. Uh, not only is a romantic partner supposed to be the most important person, but they're also really supposed to be your everything. I, I think about the Michael Bublé song, 
where he, you know, where he croons about um, you're my everything. Mm. And uh, that does not leave very much space uh, if you have one person who's your everything. Like, who are your friends then? Right. Well, I remember watching Harry Met Sally and thinking, Meg Ryan, you need to hang out more with Carrie Fisher, possibly dump Billy Crystal, who played Harry, because he seemed clueless. And I mean, I, I know that's like a retrograde way of looking at that beloved movie. But Harry and Sally just can't be friends. They have to date and, spoiler alert, get married. Uh <laughs> You know, what that makes me think about is the way that friends often appear in movies as sidekicks, but not as the main characters whose plot is worth following in and of themselves. And that, you know, again, points to the way that we are immersed in this way of thinking about romantic relationships and friendships that that put them at two very clear, clearly different places on a hierarchy. And that is almost naturally going to inform the way that we approach the the different types of relationships in our lives. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, we're talking about friendship, the deep and abiding friendships, the kind of friends who you would move across the country for and how we can center these kinds of friendships in our lives. We're joined by Raina Cohen, who's the author of the best-selling book, The Other Significant Others, Reimagining Life with Friendship at the Center. And we want to hear from you. Tell us about your other significant other, that friend who you call or text every day, the person who you cannot imagine your life without. And have you made life decisions around your friendships, like where you would live, where you work, how you parent? And have you done that all for a friend? You can email us at forum at kqed.org or find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. That's Twitter, Instagram, or digital communities on Discord. Or you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And going into this break, I want to read this uh, comment from a listener on Discord who writes, Lifelong friends are gifts. U.S. culture isn't so good about celebrating friendships. Other cultures are much better. In Argentina, there's a friend day in the spring. In some cultures, friend groups are created and bonded to families throughout their lives with yearly retreats. Husbands and wives may come and go, but a solid friendship, I'd argue, is more durable over time. And I think our guest, Raina Cohen, would agree. So give us a call. That again, that number again is 866-733-6786. Send us an email at forum at kqed.org. Tell us about your significant other and what that friendship has meant to you in your life. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. More about friendship coming after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. And that was the theme song from Laverne and Shirley for all you Gen Xers. Those just two gals making their way in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and making their dreams come true. We're talking about friendships, the kind of friends who you would move across the country for and do just about anything for. We're joined by Raina Cohen, who has a great new book called The Other Significant Others Out. She'll be at Book Passage on Sunday at 3 o'clock talking about the book as well, so definitely check that out. And we want to hear from our listeners, from you guys about your friends. Tell us about your other significant other, that friend you call or text every day, and the person you can't imagine your life without. You can email us at forum at kqed.com or find us on our social channels at KQED Forum, or give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Raina, you, we were talking a little bit about romantic relationships and friendships before the break, and you note that we can center our friendships and that they can actually strengthen our romantic relationships. Tell us how that works. Well, if you are putting everything on one romantic partner, which uh, one person I interviewed called one-stop shopping, uh, that, kind of, um, that there may be things that seem efficient about it, but it also can really strain a relationship because that's a lot of burden for one person to bear. And having really close friends can make it so that you're essentially distributing the load. This is a this is not a very uh, unfamiliar principle. We know to diversify our portfolios in finances, and, and the same thing is true in romantic relationships. And there's research that, that shows that married people who are satisfied with the, the social ties that they have outside their marriage experience less physiological stress when they have marital conflicts than people who aren't as satisfied with the social ties they have outside of their marriage. And there's other similar research out there. And I saw versions of this in my reporting where there's just extra support to go around. I kind of think about it as a multiplier effect when you have more than one person who's really central to your life that you can lean on. Uh, One person that I interviewed who has both a girlfriend and a um, and this really really close friend had told me that you have no idea what a gift it is to have both of these relationships and that they are working towards supporting each other. Um, they're not working against each other. And, you know, in, in fact, when his friend had gone through a really terrible um, moment in his career, not only did that friend have his friend, he also had his friend's girlfriend who mm. was supporting him, sending him, you know, DoorDash gift cards, um, trying to make him laugh in, in a really kind of uh, terrible crisis moment. So everybody who is connected to each other, assuming they, they get along well, have the potential to really support each other. And um, and if you are not up for, you know, being able to help somebody in your life at that moment, then you also kind of, you have a partner in that, um, that it's it's not all on your shoulders. You know, there's um, 
some couples or friends in your book who talk about how they incorporate that romantic partner and with these friendships. And sometimes a romantic partner says, oh, I'm not going to be your everything. You're not. I'm not going to be your number one soulmate. I'm out. Like I don't want to be in a romantic relationship with somebody who has this also this intense friendship. How do you deal with that, or how have these friends dealt with that? These friends uh, have dealt with it by just moving on from those romantic relationships. Uh, in in some cases, in uh, in one particular case that I look at, where uh, these two men who are straight and were dating women and their uh, sort of strategy was to change who they were looking for and on what terms. So they had found that three to six months into a romantic partnership, things would just not work out with the romantic partner because she would suddenly realize how important the friendship was and that she was not going to maybe be number one or would have somebody kind of equal status and that that was not really the kind of relationship she wanted. And what they ended up doing was going on dating apps to find people who were okay with non-monogamy. Even though these men were not necessarily interested in having more than one romantic partner, they realized that the kind of understanding that monogamous people have of this uh, you know, one-stop shopping relationship was was incompatible with a friendship as close as theirs. So um, they have each dated women who are uh, okay with non-monogamy, and uh, the, the, the primary partnership, if you will, is the friendship um, rather than having, you know, a primary romantic relationship and a secondary romantic relationship, as maybe I think people would think non-monogamy would typically work. It sounds great. Well, let's go to the phones. Um, Francesca in San Francisco, welcome to Forum. Tell us about your friendships. Hi. I would say that I'm somebody that's blessed with a lot of very close friendships. Um, I went to college in San Francisco and um, a lot of my friends stayed in the city after graduation. And so, you know, from the time we were 22 until now, I would say that we've just had each other as our family and just really developed such strong bonds where we would even have like these Valentine's Day parties where we'd sit around and groups of circle of women just talking about how important platonic female friendship is. Um, and I would say that that's still true today. But the caveat being that you know, we're all now kind of closely approaching 30. And I think I'm definitely seeing this kind of shift away from how we are investing continually into our friendships versus now this panic around how do I find my life partner. And, um, you know, it's one of those things I understand, but also kind of makes me sad because, you know, we've developed these really strong bonds and I want to continue building those bonds, but it feels like maybe there's now this tug, um, to find something that is a little bit different. Mm. Um, Raina, how does friendship go from, t- you know, periods of your lives? How do you like these moments? I mean, you write like you went through this period where I think you went to a gajillion weddings and it was like the thing that was happening in your life. How do you accommodate friendships in those stages, marriage or raising kids or making those life decisions? Different people approach this differently. I I think it is considered perfectly reasonable to sort of shine your energy uh, and attention on a romantic partner and 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 maybe kids uh, and just expect that friendships are going to fall away. I mean, you know, uh, what I was just hearing in uh, like in this account from the caller is like 
friendship almost seeming like a rehearsal for the real thing, which is a romantic partnership and how painful that is if you have been operating from this place where the friendship really mattered to you and and wasn't just a stand-in until real life began. Um, but I, I think that is how, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us are conditioned to think about the role of friendship versus romantic relationships. Um, but certainly other people have deep and abiding friendships with their romantic relationships. I mean, I guess I can like count myself uh, among among them. Uh, my you know husband and I live with two of our friends and their two kids. and I think it makes our relationship better and more uh, interesting and energizing and we discover new sides of ourselves. And uh, I mean, in the Bay, this is very common for people to, uh, even when they are coupled up to live in group houses or in co-living communities. So uh, I, I think that maybe the prevailing idea is that you you know, disappear into the romantic relationship, your romantic partner becomes your best friend. Um, but there are certainly other models for how to do it. Mm. Well, let's go to another call. Michael in San Francisco. Hi, this is Michael. Um, I want to thank you for this episode. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, give a shout out to my best friend, Stephen. Um, we've known each other since we were 10. Um, uh, we were boys and we nurtured each other through our teen years then we became adults and then we became men and uh, and uh, now i'd like to believe we are gentlemen and <laughs> uh, and um i i love him so very much and i love his wife who is my bestie very much as well so we I think this is a, a, a very important show. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. And it's so nice to hear about your best friend, Michael. And I'm glad to hear it because, uh, Raina, you re- report that the state of male friendship in our culture is not good. I mean, 15% of men report that they have no close friends, and men who lose their spouses experience a pronounced and long lasting spike in loneliness. How can men nurture these types of friendships? Well, I think one thing that was kind of extraordinary, maybe shouldn't be what Michael said, is he said he loves his friend. Mm. Um, And there's data on how rarely men express something like saying, I love you to their friends compared to women. And there's a lot for people of all genders that that tends to go unsaid in terms of affection and communication and friendship. But I think that um, for men, it's it's even more extreme. Um, so simply affirming that you really care about the friendships you do have, I, I think, is one one place to start. And also, you know, resetting expectations around who is going to fill your emotional needs, especially. Uh, there's also data showing that men are much more likely to say that they get their deepest sense of emotional intimacy from their female partners than their male uh, best friends or male friends. And the flip is is true for heterosexual women. So um, I, I, I think uh, taking the, the cue from research and from, you know, these stories about how our lives are enriched by having more than one core person 
to rely on um, would help. And just, you know, maybe caring a little bit less about how the world will interpret your behavior if you show intimacy, like, you know, physical or emotional intimacy with a man. I, I follow the story of a straight man in the book who really has to undergo a transformation in order to become as close as he is to his friend because he'd grown up thinking that you know you don't t- you don't put your arm around a man's shoulder you don't get too close to other men otherwise you might be perceived as gay as if that would be a bad thing um so you know really i think interrogating what feels comfortable and not and why and maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit to see if it's possible to um be a little bit more vulnerable talk about somewhat more um you know, scarier, intimate things with with male friends than uh, perhaps is the norm. I think that's you right, too. It's like it is about us as a society revisioning how we look at male friendship. I mean, you write about this, quote unquote, homa hysteria. And a lot of the male friends in your book are asked, well, are you gay? Are you guys dating? It's almost like we can't understand a close male friendship without some sexual contact or relationship. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would pose a question for people listening now who have been listening since the top when you described your own extraordinarily close friend friendship and did people jump to the the thought like, oh, maybe it's actually a romantic relationship? Mm-hmm. Are they just repressing their desire? Uh, and did they, you know, do, if they were to hear about two straight men, the, like the ones that I described earlier, um, you know, these are men who have um, changed, uh, you know, made big professional decisions for each other, lived together for years um, and see each other as as partners and change their dating patterns uh, for their friendship is, you know, do you j- jump to the conclusion that maybe they are really into each other sexually but yeah. won't admit it? Um, I, I do think there's a real double standard and mm-hmm. it is quite um, fascinating to realize how historically contingent this all is, that men men have a long history of very deep and effusive friendship. And um, there is a quote from the, uh, you know, philosopher Montaigne about how... he he said that like women weren't even capable of real friendship um, <laughs> because they of their ra- I think it was like their rash and unwavering fire in them, um, uh, whereas men were were truly capable of deep friendship. So we've really kind of went topsy turvy on this, where I think everyone's capable of close friendship, but that you know it used to be that that men sort of saw themselves in this this higher place of esteem when it came to platonic relationships, and now it's like. We need to be talking about like the state of men's friendships and how to enrich them. Okay, Montaigne. He didn't really know everything that he was talking about. Uh, let's go to the phones. Colleen from Central Point, Oregon. Thank you for calling Forum. Tell us about your friend. Oh, my lovely angel. Um, we've Pam, we've known each other for 40 years. We uh, met through our husband, had kids together, brought the kids up helped with elderly parents um, and their whole trip and whatever. And then um, two years ago, my husband went in uh, for elective surgery and he didn't come home and um, didn't make it. And 12 days into this, um, it was during COVID. I was the only one that could be in the hospital. He ended up in ICU and the night that he had um, a pulmonary embolism, cardiac arrest, and then finally renal failure. They let her in, and she stayed with me for three days. 
We were on the floor, <laughs> sitting on the floor at ICU with a computer trying to get Neptune Society. And just, she was just freaking amazing. And I'm sorry, it was just, it's still pretty raw, even though it's been two mm. years. But um, she's been my angel, held my hand, called me every single day, and has helped me through this whole, like, experience of being a widow and death of a loved one and you know the death of the one and um a whole circle of friends so the first of many to come i guess you know Mm. i'm saying we're in the fourth quarter of our life but um she's an amazing amazing woman that's all i've got to say and uh, one more thing because of this experience, she has become a death doula here in Oregon at the Hospice Center um, in Medford. And just how can you top that? Well, thank you for sharing that story, Colleen. I'm so sorry to hear about your husband, but so happy that you had this angel beside your beside you to get you through this very difficult period. So, and I hope you stay well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for um, for sharing and your in the like the full emotional experience um, because I, I think this is how so many people feel even if maybe they they have not kind of gone to the end of the line the way that you have with your friend but we just don't don't recognize that this is what friends can do for us and make it and how they can make us feel and it is a, a little bit about these times in our lives where you build up this friendship bank and you talk a little bit about this in your book where you know you have that daily contact or these conversations and that intimate with your friend so that when tragedies like this do happen, you really have somebody else to lean on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, if you've only been kind of superficial friends for a little bit, maybe people will show up. And I think this is something like that religious communities often, even if people don't know each other well, they'll show up in, in, in times like these. Um, but will they be able to actually be in the hospital with you and, and hold your hand and be there for three days straight the way that Colleen was just describing? Um, I, you know, to me, what, what Colleen's story brought up is just how unexpected our lives are, the turns that they take, and that friends can be there for those unexpected transitions. And also, when our lives don't maybe pan out in the one way that we thought they would, like partnering up for life, for instance, um, that we, we need other kinds of connections and support, um, both if we have romantic partners and, you know, how like we were talking about with diversifying your portfolio, but also in cases where relationships end because you outlive your spouse or there's some falling out or you never found somebody in the first place. I think it's so important for us to have more than one possible path to contentment, to, to satisfaction, and uh, that we, we really need it because our lives are just not that predictable. Well, Janice writes, my other significant other's name is Dave. I met him in a German class and we became immediate friends. He moved to the Netherlands. We both studied Dutch. I visit him two or three times a year and we exchange multiple emails per day. He's expanded my worldview and interests, and I'm about to go see him again. His health is failing, and I don't know what I will do without him. We're talking about friends, and we'll have more after this break. Give us a call, 1-866-733-6786, to tell us about your friend. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Madrigal. More after the break.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Alexis Magical. I'm talking with the author Raina Cohen about her new book, The Other Significant Others, Reimagining Life with Friendship at the Center. And of course, that was Randy Newman from Toy Story, all about friendships between toys. Um, We're happy to take your calls and your emails about your friendships that you can email us at forum at kqed.org or call us at 866-733-6786. Raina, you mentioned um, in passing about your own situation. You live in a house that you call Kibitz, D.C., which I love. (laughs) It sounds like a dream. Um, And your living situation includes your husband and you, as well as a couple that you call Naomi and Daniel and their child. And um, it's about living together. And it I would say living the dream. Um, and when you guys decided this, you and Marco were quick to identify the downsides of what is, you know, maybe an unconventional setup. But you note that we don't even consider the downsides of the conventional setups, which, you know, have a lot of downsides. Yeah, I, you know, kind of got trapped a little bit into this thinking about, uh, you know, what the the next steps are in life, essentially. Um, this conversation came up with with my friends about living together um, because my husband and I had been in a conversation with another couple about potentially buying a home. And we were really surprised that our friends, who I call Naomi and Daniel in the book, um, were, were game. But um, we wouldn't be able to buy with them because for, for various reasons. So we would have to rent. And then I was thinking about like, well, if we end up spending more on rent to like get a house that would accommodate all us, then my husband and I would fall behind on saving for a down payment. And, you know, we wanted to buy a place. And and like my husband was like, do we care about buying a home? Like, mm. is that actually the thing that's important to us? Um, and, you know, or is that just basically the default that that is what everybody's doing right now or thinking about? And, 
you know, like this was very humbling because I was working on this book about friendship and about <laughs> not getting into these sorts of traps about what the next step is or what your you know, relationship should look like. Like I, I wanted to live with these friends, but I was thinking really in practical terms. And as soon as he brought that up, I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. The thing that I value here is community. And, you know, if it was going to make us go bankrupt, I guess that would that would be a different scenario. But that wasn't what was going on here. And what it helped me do was realize that there's a trade-off um, that I might give up certain kinds of things like this save these savings. But it was really kind of clear in front of mind to me what the benefits would be, which were living with these friends who were so important to us, um, who I thought would really enrich our day-to-day lives uh, at a moment in life that was special because they had one young kid at a time. At the time, now they have two. Um, so I, yeah, I do think that what people tend to do is is something along the lines of what I did, which is really focus on the, the downsides of an unconventional setup and really overlook the downsides of the conventional setup, which are, you know, isolation. And uh, there are all sorts of problems that that come uh, emotionally and socially with being disconnected. And we just don't usually factor those in. And instead, we think about, well, the the shiny big appliances that you get to have in your home where you have, you know, that's that's all your all your own and that you mm. get to control uh, versus like, yeah, I have a probably messier house that has toys on the floor um, often um, and I don't have as much control over the space. And there's some like talking about who's going to use the shared office when. But mm-hmm. uh, my life is a lot richer because of it. Oh, it sounds great. I was, I was turned to my husband like, how can we do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what couple can we find who will help us raise our kids? Um, let's go to the phones. Catherine and Sebastopol. Welcome to Forum. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear this topic. I got so thrilled. Um, I have a, um, I share a house with an ex-partner of mine. Um, We co-purchased a home together six years ago. And as it turns out, we're, in a sense, we're, I want to say we're sort of life partners without it being sexual. Mm. Um, And people, I think what really strikes me about the situation is how, often people in our surroundings and we have pretty like progressive open-minded friends um well we have friends from all walks of life but they're always like well why aren't you two together like we don't understand it like you know you're you're heterosexual you're male you know female like what's wrong like what's wrong like why would you do this Mm. um so so neither of us are partnered we both date but our lives function like we help each other. We kind of run a little farm together. We work on house projects. Um, he's one of my dearest friends, and it's uh, I, I I just it's it's I don't really know anyone else doing this kind of relationship with somebody where there's an understanding that we're really here for each other and we help each other in all these ways. Um, and we, in some ways, we make each other's lives possible. Like our lives mm. are so much richer. There's no way we could have what we have without the other. And yet it is not romantic. Well, I love what Catherine said, Raina, about making our lives possible. And that's almost at the core of what your book is about, friendships that make your life possible, make your life richer. And, you know, does it matter that we have no label for what these friendships are? I guess it doesn't. Well, I think it it does matter to people's sense of legitimacy of their relationship and for their recognition for the outside world. Uh, You know, if you are in a situation like Catherine is in and like people that I write about in the book are where people are always questioning you. Mm. I mean, like, you know, how for people who are in a romantic partnership, how would how would you feel if people were like, (laughs) 
kind of asking you if there's, you know, why aren't you doing X or Y in your relationship where there's almost, an, you know, there's judgment essentially involved and disbelief at the the closeness that you have. I mean, I mean we just sort of take for granted the, the importance of a romantic relationship. And I think it's, um, it's, it's a terrible thing to have your most important relationship be one that people are not celebrating, but really scrutinizing. Um, and, you know, I guess for some consolation to, to Catherine. There's a whole book of, of stories about this. I interviewed mm-hmm. far more people who have these sorts of relationships. And I know, um, you know, I'm thinking of a specific pair of friends uh, who I think are in, met in the Bay uh, who tried a romantic relationship and one person was into the sort of romantic element and the other wasn't. And instead of deciding to set, go their separate ways, they just took out the romance and sexual piece. And they are really platonic life partners, I believe is the term that they use. And what that shows is that we bundle a lot of things together that don't necessarily have to be bundled. Romance and sex do not have to be bundled with living with somebody or raising kids together or, you know, can you do the groceries together and organize uh, vacations that it's great if those things do align, but it's also possible to find a lot of those same things and just not have the sex or romance piece. Well, you make a really good point about that. And I mean, one of the aspects of this book are the ways that society, even from a legal structure, prevents us from having these types of friendships. I mean, we say all the time, oh, it takes a village, it takes a village to raise kids. But for example, in adopting, I mean, you often can't adopt a child unless you've kind of established a romantic relationship with one of the parents of that of that child. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so if you become, you, let's say you marry uh, somebody who has kids and then you are their, the kid's step-parent and there are most states like a specific processes to ease the way for step parent adoption. Whereas if you are a friend um, who is raising your friend's kids as their own, if you wanted to adopt those children in many states, you'd run into legal issues like the biological parent having or, you know, one of the um, if there was maybe an ex-spouse involved, having to give up custody of that child, um, give up rights to that child. Uh, And there's a, a a legal scholar who named Sasha Coupe, who who really points out what's going on here and and maybe the issues with it, which is that the law really places so much emphasis on eros, so sexual love, uh, and rather than agape, which is the you know sort of self-sacrificing love. And she wants us to focus less on the relationship between the adults and more on the relationship between the adult and the child um, at, in question. Uh, so there, you know, yeah, there we say that it takes takes a village and maybe, you know, friends can can play a role in, in raising kids. But the law really carves out spa- paths specifically for marital relationships and makes, you know, non-romantic, non-marital relationships complicated to uh, be recognized in the law. Mm. Well, we have a question from Diana in Dublin. Diana, welcome to Forum. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a couple of comments, actually. Um, I I value my friendships deeply, and I have many, many close friends. I'm married to a person who does not have friends and doesn't understand deep friendships. So when I spend a lot of time with my close, close friends, he feels neglected Hmm. because I am his one and only, and he is not my one and only. Hmm. And it's hard because my friends have known me longer than he has so they've known me when i was a girl 
and he doesn't have that history with me. Mm. And so... Yeah. I mean, you're looking to see how your husband can diversify his portfolio. And that sort of goes back to find men. finding. you don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want him to change. I don't want him to change. He's not going to change. It's just a difficult situation where I value my deep, deep friendships. And he doesn't understand deep, deep friendships because he mm-hmm. doesn't have deep, deep friendships. Mm. So it's it's a little tricky. He he doesn't mind when I spend time with my sister or his sister because he trusts them and he knows them. And of course, you have deep relationships with relatives, but with friends, you know, it's different. And he doesn't understand that. Um, so it's yeah. hard. And it's also it's also hard because I love men from my past mm-hmm. and. I can't have relationships with them because the society just doesn't allow that. Well, that's th- well. Thank you for those comments and um, those observations, Raina. When you have a partner who doesn't appreciate the depths of your friendship, that can be hard. I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, what I'm hearing is a kind in this um, example, but in, in others is uh, that I've I've heard from people who are partnered is that. Often with a, you know, a male, uh, male and female uh, kind of arrangement is that the male partner feels threatened by um, mm. the friendships um, and and that there is this sense of, you know, you're taking something away from me. And, you know, I, I, I think it's hard if you, yeah. you know, the caller says that she doesn't want her husband to change, which is totally reasonable, but it does seem difficult uh, to have someone appreciate how important a particular kind of relationship is if they themselves have, have never right. had it. Right. Um, and uh, I have to I have to break yeah. in briefly. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Grace Wan in for Alexis Madrigal. Um, we were you were having this thought about what to do when your your partner doesn't appreciate your friendships, um, and that is really difficult. A- another aspect that about friendship and going through these kind of ages of friends is. When you get older, and I was fascinated about this piece where, you know, friends decide to move in together. And it's almost like when you become older, friendships become more understandable to society. And the popularity of this idea of like, okay, all our friends, we're going to get a, a, we're going to live together in the same area. Hugely popular concept that gets a lot of viralness when it's covered in the press. Is, is friendship in older age easiest, easier for us to comprehend? Many people have a kind of golden girl's dream. and they're, they're, <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, there's a story that I write about in the book that just kind of got re-viral, if that's a thing, where um, this group of friends had made uh, basically a compound to retire in of tiny homes in, in this part of rural Texas. And I just saw it on Instagram and like, I don't know, close to a million people have liked this post. Uh, there is something that is deeply alluring about being surrounded by your friends when you're older. And I think one one factor uh, is that there is less emphasis on sexual relationships, at least, you know, stereotypically in our culture. And what I found is that the younger people I spoke to found that all of their relationships were sexualized, like all their friendships were. And, and the expectation was that you were supposed to focus on a romantic partner. And on the flip side, older people were desexualized, where, you know, they were not seen as uh, beings who, who needed to 
uh, sex or romance in their lives. And I don't think that either of those stereotypes are helpful and um, are not going to, you know, <laughs> mm. really capture um, the differences in people's experiences. But it does have this kind of positive side effect or silver lining for older people where they can get away with like these women I write about in the book, um, living together for decades and not really having people question whether there's actually a sexual relationship and they can kind of live a little bit more freely. I mean, everybody wants to live, you know, like the Golden Girls with the lanai and caftans. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> I can, <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, let's go back to the phones. Um, Jamie in San Francisco. Good morning. Good morning. Jaime. Oh, Jaime, sorry. Jaime, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to share with uh, the audience. Uh, friendship is aggression. Friendship is uh, you know, Jaime, you're, I'm so sorry. Your line is a little bit tough, but I hear that you spoke to the screener about growing up with a group of friends in El Salvador and leaving because of the Civil War. And, um, you know, I'm glad to hear that you have this close set of friends. Um, let's go back. Let's go to another caller, Posey in San Francisco. Hi, thank you so much. I just want to start off quickly by saying that my best friend, who is my mom, and I have been listening to Forum together my whole life. So it's about that. And it's really um, my mom and I, We the reason we sh- have always shared a home together, obviously when I was a child, it was for a slightly different reason. But we actually, when I moved back from Seattle, I thought of who I might want to live with. And it's just we we enjoy the same things. We love doing all the same things. We really are like best friends. And in the and I'm also lucky that throughout the years, my friends and partners and her friends as well, we've always um, enjoyed each, all of us have enjoyed each other's company. But in the world at large, for many years, when I say like, for instance, at work, what are you doing? I, I won't say... I'll say, oh, I'm doing something with my best friend, going out, because there's this funny slant of like, oh, you're doing something with your mom. Wow, that's great. <laughs> um, it's just viewed really differently, and it's extra interesting now as she's a much older woman. We go out, and people oftentimes, I've even, I even had someone come up to me once and say, oh, I think that's so wonderful you're going out with you know yeah and a, a friend of mine actually who her best friend is a much older man yes. she i've actually committed people view that as odd too you know anyway but that's just what i wanted to say is it's um we really just enjoy we love doing all the same stuff we like to say music we like to say i love that i mean as well sometimes as well you know there's certain things that i might like or certain things that she might like but it is funny people's view of a parent and i think it's partly it comes from their own feeling about maybe their mother right anyway well it's great that you have a good relationship with your mother posey and I mean, Raina, this has been a wonderful hour of talking about centering your friends. One last word about that. What can we do day to day to make sure that our friends stay front front and center in our minds? I think operating from a place where there are not uh, artificial limits on what a friend can be can can be really helpful. So if you are you know in a place where you want some support or you want to go run some errands and have company or you know like anything from the mundane to something that's really profound, thinking about could a friend be there for you um, and 
how much closer would you be if you had a friend in your life in that way all the time? Well, this has been a great hour. We've been talking about deep and abiding friendships with Raina Cohen, author of the other, author of the other significant others. She'll be at Book Passage on Sunday, this Sunday at three o'clock, and that's the Book Passage at the Ferry Building. I'm Grace Wan in for Alexis Madrigal. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.